Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, happy Friday, friends, and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And we're continuing to talk this week about a indictment of Donald Trump out of Manhattan. And, uh, you know, this is also just one aspect of it. There's, of course, the uh, the grand jury that's going on in Fulton County, Georgia. There is the special counsel investigation with the DOJ and Jack Smith out of Washington, D.C. And uh, yeah, this has really dominated the airwaves. And, of course, we need to talk about it and talk about it from a wide variety of perspectives. And I also always like to get different perspectives because I think it's important that um, you don't just hear from the you know pro-Trump spokespeople. You don't just hear from the um, anti or never Trumpers or um, the you know the Democrat left or any of those because there's there are so many facets I think to this story and one of the fascinating to me facet uh, facets came from Pedro Gonzalez who is the politics editor at Chronicles magazine and if you're not following him on Twitter you should um, listeners of the show will remember him as uh, the writer of the trans Leviathan we had an excellent show um, talking about the whole trans agenda and you know so he's somebody whose views are are um, very solid and somebody who I think you need to be paying attention to and following. And he wrote a Substack article that uh, you can find on his Twitter page and his Substack page that's called The Big Grift. So his view is that uh, Trump isn't worried about being arrested and going to jail. He's worried about money and Alvin Bragg uh, the Alvin Bragg case gives him an opportunity to fleece his supporters. That's what uh, Pedro Gonzalez tweeted earlier this week, and he joins me now. So, uh, Pedro, what's your thought on this as far as uh, what you are calling the big grift? Yeah. Well, Dad, thanks so much for having me. And I appreciate that introduction because you're right. I'm not someone who's on the left. In fact, I'm to the right of Trump on pretty much every issue. And I'm someone who actually kind of came out of the Trumpian rights in the sense that I got into politics because of him, and I wrote about politics to defend him. But obviously, I just there are problems. Let's just leave it. We can we can summarize it as that. Um, but and, and this is an example of that. And so basically, at the same time that everyone's being worked into this kind of state of the end of the end is nigh, you know, the indictment spells the end of America. It's a banana republic. You've got all these people that are basically, if, if they're not openly saying that DeSantis should, you know, throw his, his fall on the sword for Trump by doing something extraordinary and possibly even like illegal to stop this from happening, uh, you've you just got all these really frantic takes and opinions right now, right? But in Mar-a-Lago, they're having the time of their lives. There are all these reports coming out of Mar-a-Lago that Trump is actually looking forward to the indictment. That his team is basically like looking at this as uh, as a PR stunt. That they they want like to be clear. Um, there's there's a really high chance that there will be no actual handcuffs. That there's not going to be a perp walk or anything like that. But Trump's team wants that to happen, 
it, it, what's incredible is how open they're about it. You know, they're, they're talking to the press. They're talking to whether it's the, the Guardian or the New York Post, and, the, and they're openly saying, we love this. And why? Why? Like, that, that, this sounds like a pretty bad time for America, right? Well, not for them. And, and part of it has to do with the fact that fundraising for the Trump campaign has actually been pretty awful. Trump only entered this year uh, in February. The Associated Press reported that he had $25 million on hand for all this, down from over $100 million last year at the same time. So the fundraising numbers are pretty terrible. And guess what? The books closed for the uh, the FEC's uh, first quarter books for for this year for, for uh, campaign fundraising. They close on the 31st of this month. And so I, I basically made this argument that, like, look, you guys are all by you guys. I mean, all of the pundits and stuff, you're all freaking out. But Trump is literally laughing at you. Because this is like he wants people to get worked up about it so that they'll give his campaign money. And so people thought I was crazy because I broke the story a few days ago. And, uh, you know, people thought I was nuts. But then yesterday in the Daily Mail, his his team actually told the Daily Mail, so far we've made $1.5 million since we announced Friday that Trump was going to be arrested on Tuesday, which of course didn't happen. But they actually confirmed the numbers to the Daily Mail, which is shocking for two reasons. One, it basically confirms that I was right. But then on the other hand, only 1.5 million. Like you're telling people that this is the end of America as we know it. Like you've only managed to pull in 1.5 million. That's, that's, I mean, that, that kind of also tells you that they are actually worried about money because there's not a lot coming in. And the last thing I'll say, because I could keep going on and on, is that there have been tons of fundraising solicitations that are going out that are related to this. And you might say, well, okay, that's totally understandable that Trump is, you know, making, making a lemonade with lemons. But if you look at the fundraising solicitations, they're often misleading. Like there are texts going out where it says, you know, like Trump in handcuffs, text this number to give money to make sure that doesn't happen or whatever. And then you click through the link and it looks like you're giving money to Trump. But if you read the fine print, it's actually going to some random Senate Republican. In, in other words, Trump is helping the GOP that everyone agrees is you know, corrupt, especially the Senate, fundraise off of this stuff. And it's just – it is the most remarkable and shameless thing that I have seen in a long time because it's preying on people's emotions and patriotism. And goodwill. Yeah. And, and I'm talking with Pedro Gonzalez, yep. who's the politics editor at The Chronicles magazine. And, um, you know, Trump himself, aside for a moment, um, the entire fundraising mechanism and I'll call it a scheme uh, in Washington uh, and on, on all sides. I mean, this is people have to remember that the RNC, the DNC and, you know, WinRed and the NRSC and all of these, um, you know, three and, and four letter um, organizations in Washington even though they're private, they're no different than government in the sense that they are not a revenue generating institution. They don't real. they don't, um, they're not capitalists in that sense. They rely solely on donations. And I have seen so many things that are really misleading in terms of um, on, on all sides to say, oh, click here and, you know, give this, um, for example, for a candidate. And you actually go down to it and it's like out of every $1, one cent yeah goes to the candidate's campaign and 99 cents yep. goes to like the RNC. And I think that's just, that's, yep. that's shameful. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, and this is why, by the way, I was willing to take the risk to report the story because I've actually covered the same thing in the past, but it was actually related to the 2020 election. And so 
um, you might remember the election defense fund and the solicitations that went out about basically give money to the election defense fund and we're going to overturn the results of the election. Well, if you read the fine print, it stated that 25% of each contribution went to the RNC and 75% of each contribution first went to Save America. It was up to, I think, 5,000 with the rest of that number um, going to the Trump campaign. So basically, you thought you were giving all of your money to the Trump camp, uh, to to this defense fund, but it was actually being divvied up between three different entities, and then the the um, the the Save America Pact. I think that's the one that people are more familiar with than this. Well, the same thing, right? You you thought you were giving money to the Save America Pact to overturn uh, or contest the results of the 2020 election. Well, again, if you read the fine print, that money could not be used to litigate anything related to the election. And like I was, you know, shocked when I saw that. And so I, I actually reached out to a guy named Brendan Fisher, who works at um, the Campaign Legal Center. He's an expert on campaign finance and government ethics. And he told me, he confirmed for me that that the money going into Save America Pact that was going in there on the gra- on the understanding that this was going to be used be used to contest the election was legally that pack was prohibited from financing litigation related to the election it could be used for a whole lot of other things but not that one thing and that's what so much money was raised on and so obviously i had that in mind when i wrote this story and that's that's why i was like i said i was willing to like you know take the risk of being wrong but it looked like i was right again so and that by the way that the report about save america and all that stuff it's it's in american greatness where I used to work, it's called Trump's Millions, and I, I laid out how you know these, these solicitations were misleading, and like you said, it preys on people's goodwill. And by the way, the, the reason that matters is every politician does that, right? But Trump is supposed to be different. He's supposed to be the one guy that doesn't do that. Mm, that's that's a great point, and I'm very familiar with uh, the election integrity and the Legal Defense Fund. And you know, I have said um, for the last two years, I mean, since all this is going on, that there should be an audit of uh, the RNC and where all of that money went, um, because there were a lot of people. And of course, you know, I was on uh, the legal defense team in uh, the aftermath of the 2020 election, and you know, I've said very publicly um, since then that you know we didn't see a dime of this. Uh, in terms of funding any of um, the legal team's efforts. We didn't see this going to uh, pay lawyers. I mean, there are still lawyers that were local counsel that have yet to be paid for the work that they did, which um, I wow. think is just shameful for um, for the RNC and uh, whether it's you know Save America PAC or whoever is responsible. I mean, these are these are people that did a job as professionals, and you know their representation wasn't philanthropic. This wasn't a oh yeah we're signing up to do this pro bono, um, and you know they could have done that, but when but generally as the Bible even says, and all of my listeners are familiar with this, a worker is worth his wages. And um, and so I have always said to people, especially since then, be very careful where you're donating because you always want to read the fine print. And you may think that, you know, it's really easy to click, um, you know, a link that says support this candidate, support this cause, uh, whatever it is, but go and actually see the distribution and yeah. and see if you are actually funding what you think you are funding. So, um, but going yep. back, uh, Pedro Gonzalez, who's my guest today, is the politics editor at the Chronicles Magazine. 
Um, you know, going back to this whole indictment of, of Trump and, you know, coming out of the uh, out of at least Manhattan first, um, you know, you, you had mentioned that this is something that is fundraising oriented for the Trump campaign. And of course, you know, they're capitalizing on on all of this. And some people think, well, you know, well, they should because we want to do something. We want to donate. And of course, that's everybody's choice. We're just encouraging you know what you're doing. Um, but there was a report that came out in The Guardian, which, you know, I hate to um, to quote them as any sort of reliable source. But I think that, um, but, you know, this was also then reported in Trending Politics News and a few other places that um, sources are saying that Trump actually wants to be handcuffed for a court appearance and says he doesn't care yeah. if he gets a mugshot. And, yep. you know, this is this is basically confirmed by a lot of these people that are suggesting even, you know, here on my program um, that are saying, you know, if there's a mugshot, this is going to be, you know, the most... Um, prolific widespread mugshot will be on all the t-shirts this will be a fundraising generator and you know i have to ask the question pedro um you know doesn't that go against the whole perceived narrative that we don't want this as a country we don't want the weaponization of government and you know trump is the one that's standing in the way of all of that for you and me who are the little guys um so you know, and I think this goes into your whole idea in your Substack article. Um, you know, how how should we understand this? And, and I guess just break down your um, your Substack piece a little further. Yeah, and and by the way, it's okay uh, to cite the Guardian and the Washington Post and the New York Times and all these other liberal out- outlets. It's okay to cite them and believe them because. Despite all you know, all the talk about fake news, these are actually the outlets that Trump and his team prefers. This is, again, kind of jarring for conservative audiences to hear, but Trump's team and Trump himself actually care more about what liberal media says and thinks, and that's why they work with them so much. That's why you know, Jason Miller, one of his many people on his team, he works with reporters at the Daily. If you if you pay attention, you'll notice that it's always the same reporters who are talking about things that only people like Jason Miller would have uh, knowledge of on Trump's team. And it's because they work together and they make these agreements where it's like, I will tell you what's happening in Mar-a-Lago as long as you don't attack me in print. And they like they these this is it's called access journalism. And Trump's team does that um, with The New York Times, The Washington Post, whatever. Like everyone knows that he has a good relationship with Maggie Haberman. And and we need to leave it there real quick. We'll be right back with Pedro Gonzalez on the other side of the break right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. We're talking about, you know, the truth of fundraising and a little bit different perspective this morning, but one I think it's important for you to hear. We'll be right back. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back and uh, talking about speaking truth. I have my guest, Pedro Gonzalez, who's the politics editor at Chronicles Magazine. And Pedro, right before uh, the break, you were talking about this notion of access journalism and why sometimes even though, um, you know, we as conservatives and especially uh, Trump supporters, whether or not you still support uh, the former president and, and all of that. But I think people who care about the truth and particularly truth and accuracy in journalism are hesitant to quote some of these sources like The Washington Post, The Guardian, The Daily Mail and uh, New York Times and all of these others who, of course, do um, spin their headlines. They are fake news. But at the same time, the point you were making before the break, um, Pedro, is that 
you know, the, the Trump administration and um, particularly, you know, in the administration and even the campaign was um, very famous for uh, not just leaking and, and things that were anti-Trump from his own personnel, which I, I found despicable, but leaks that um, and, and overt intentionally giving uh, these types of stories yeah. from Trump himself or people close to him with his permission to sources yeah. like Maggie Haberman, who herself says that, you know, she she refers to herself as Trump's therapist. So this seems to be at odds with with yeah. what he represents to um, the rest of the conservative base. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important thing to 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 note, because, again, you know, it's very easy or very, very commonly you're dismissed for citing fake news in the New York Times. But it's like, no, Trump actually loves the New York Times and uh, only read it because, you know, it's his, it's his favorite newspaper. And, and, uh, and yeah, so and, and oftentimes they see these stories. And by the way, they also see uh, it's also not uncommon for conservatives like names, but conservatives in that camp to put stories um, to give basically liberal reporters kind of like dirt so that they will report against other conservative enemies. Like, it's really common. It's extremely underhanded because they're telling mm-hmm. you it's fake news and you can't trust it at the same time they're relying on it. But um, Yeah, we, one quick note on that. Is, I mean, I will just say um, to to the people listening, I mean, you know, this is absolutely true. And I experienced that myself when I worked for the Trump 2020 campaign, where there yeah. would be these um, kind of maliciously planted stories that would suggest, um, yeah, and there were, there was, I forget the exact characterization, but it was like, you know, sources internal and close to Trump are saying that, um, yeah. you know, Jenna yeah. Ellis is bringing out his, his, the worst side of himself or, you know, something that was like so dramatic. Yeah. And yeah. what yeah. they were doing intentionally was trying to put a wedge and distance between uh, me and Trump because I reported to him directly and and it was so frustrating because they were anonymous sources and I mean I could guess who was doing this but it was this very kind of you know, as you said dirty and underhanded um, but that's how a lot of these political operatives would work and because they wanted yep. exclusive access and they wanted to shield people that um, anybody else and it was kind of this internal politicking game and um and and you know before before we get into you know the rest of it Pedro I just want to comment too or I want your comments on what Ron DeSantis said in the Piers Morgan interview that aired last night um and a and a clip of this uh came out that when he was responding to peers about what's different between him and Trump, the the first two things that he went to were, of course, um, you know, Fauci and the vaccine, but then also personnel issues. And he said, if there are any leaks, if there's yeah. anybody who brings their own agenda, they're gone, they're fired. And there have been yeah. no leaks, nobody yep. that's acting like that in his current gubernatorial office in Florida. And how is that different then in terms of how the fake news media and this whole access journalism may respond if he's in office? Yeah. Well, this is going to sound crazy again, but my impression of liberal media is that they're actually rooting for Trump, partly for this reason. If Trump Trump is not the nominee, and certainly if he's not the president, based on what we know about DeSantis, do we think that he's going to make Maggie Haberman his shrink? The way, the way that Trump does, to, you know, based on what we've seen on how DeSantis basically ices out liberal media, these people are going to lose access. He's not going to treat, the, he's not going to give them preference, which is what Trump does. And, you know, in the near, uh, the Washington Post ran the story recently, 
And the headline was something like, on the campaign trail, off the cuff Trump, you know, wows versus scripted Ron, who's boring. So like, kind of like that, like not very subtle at all. And Jason Miller retweeted it, who works for Trump, and called it a must read. That whole, that little relationship that the liberal media has with uh, Trump's team, where they, you know, they do each other favors, that ends if DeSantis wins. And that's why you're like that's why you're seeing all of these. Uh, what looks like, obviously, they're not going to endorse Trump, but that's why you're seeing like liberal outlets seemingly focus their fire more on DeSantis. The Daily Beast ran a story about, you know, someone gave the Daily Beast a scoop about how DeSantis ate pudding with three fingers one time. And, <laughs> and if you look at the reporter Jake LaHutt, that's a guy that caught, that's a guy that gets direct quotes from Jason Miller. And again, that whole relationship ends if DeSantis wins. And and so I think this is, I mean, this really makes me angry because they're telling you, oh, you can't trust these sources or whatever. But they're, they're, they're working with them. And ultimately, this generates clicks for the Daily Beast. It generates clicks and subscriptions for the New York Times, the Washington Post or whatever. And if we, if we could just, you know, if they would just admit, okay, we use these places and we rely on them, fine. But they're... they're not saying that they're telling you like oh it's fake news it's the enemy of the people at the same time that they're helping them generate subscriptions and, and traffic and stuff i mean it, it really does make me angry and so yeah i think i mean desantis is on the money he doesn't leak and if people do leak they get fired i i haven't i'm not aware of any leaks and i think libs in the media know that if you know if, if he wins the the party ends the access party ends so I, and I think you're spot on on that because, um, you, yes, the the Trump camp um, does use access journalism, and you know, and they're they're not the first or the last uh, campaign to do that. By the way, I mean, you know, of course, this is the way that Washington works, and this is why I think Trump, um, remarkably, you know, is totally spot on when he says that this is fake news. I mean, in um, just in my experience in the last, you know six plus years in national media, seeing how news is created and seeing how narratives are shaped and shifted and seeing how, um, you know, the stories are uh, and the headlines are generated. I mean, it, it all is bias, it's perspective, it's opinion. I mean, it's not breaking news anymore. It's breaking opinion. And um, and it does yeah. come with a bias. And, and you're right. I mean, a lot of people were really questioning, you know, why is somebody like Maggie Haberman at the New York Times, who we're supposed to not trust, then getting access to Donald Trump. And I think that that is a very fair question. And I do think you're right, Pedro, that um, at least with what we have seen with Ron DeSantis so far, while he has been in office um, at the highest executive office at the sta- in the state of Florida, his own team, his press secretary, Brian Griffin, who does a- an amazing job. I mean, if you go and I would encourage everyone to follow his press secretary, um, who will openly post his responses to some of these um, leftist outlets that say, you know, no, until you're willing to cover this accurately, we are not interested in talking to you. And he's not doing any of these types of interviews, which is why I think it's interesting as well that Trump went on True Social and is slamming DeSantis for going on an interview with Piers Morgan, who works at Fox. What's your thought on that? By the way, In, in an interview with Piers Morgan last year, Pierce Morgan asked him, quote, you know, wouldn't you agree that Putin is an evil, genocidal monster? And Trump did not flinch or hesitate, and he said yes. That he agreed with that characterization of Putin. That was last year. 
Trump also agreed with he joined Biden's call, by the way, to, to call the war, uh, Russia's war in Ukraine a genocide. This, this is what makes me so angry about like the failure of, of so-called populist media. All that's like all this fake outrage over the Pierce Morgan interview, zero outrage over Trump's own discussion with Pierce Morgan, where he agrees with the characterization of Putin as a genocidal monster. It's so fake. And, and the, I mean, my theory is that basically yesterday, Jonathan Swan, a New York Times reporter who Trump likes and gives access to, well, he, he actually did a really good profile of Ron DeSantis that was published yesterday that shows that DeSantis is not a hawk on foreign policy. He's not a neoconservative. He's not a liberal internationalist. Uh, Jonathan Swan describes him as a Jacksonian with a narrow, hard-nosed view of the American interest who doesn't believe in building democracies abroad. It's a really good profile. Jonathan Swan did his, uh, he did his homework, right? It's very, very good. And he actually shows that DeSantis has a record of, of being solid on foreign policy. He didn't support Obama's uh, strikes on Syria. Uh, he didn't support arming so-called moderate rebels because they're not moderate. <laughs> they're terrorists. So DeSantis actually has a good record on this stuff, but you didn't see that probably because it, the entire like conservative uh, or Trump like media team activated and was just focusing on the Pierce Morgan thing and trying to basically drown out that New York Times uh, profile, which I really recommend. It, it's very good, and and that's what I mean about how, how underhanded this stuff is, and it, it's pretty much all in bad faith. And I, I, I mean, if you follow me, I've been going to war with these people because they're they're. They're missing. They're misinforming you. They they don't want you to pay attention to issues and policy. They want you to listen to the noise. I mean, we're running out of time. But th- th- this is this goes back to the whole indictment thing. Look, Trump knew as early as March nine or uh, that, that that the indictment was pending or, or very likely because the New York Times reported it, and he reads the New York Times. And so basically, a week before he started to scream uh, on the 18th about you know the arrest on Tuesday, which didn't happen, he had known for a whole week that it was going to ha- that it was more than likely going to happen. He had been asked to testify, and his lawyer on the 17th said that Trump would surrender. Now this, this whole nonsense of DeSantis has to prevent the extradition. On the 17th, his lawyer said that if Trump was indicted, he would willingly surrender. When the Secret Service was talking to the Manhattan DA office about uh, having a virtual arraignment so that Trump wouldn't have to, you know, appear in person, the Guardian reported that Trump had expressed interest in going in person because he could maximize the spectacle. This is why I'm so worked up, like so angry about this whole thing, is that, you know, Trump is working people into a lather over it as if this this is just like an ambush. When he had known about it like a little in advance, didn't say anything. His lawyer had said multiple times. His, by the way, his lawyer told the New York Daily News on the 17th that Trump is like basically very happy about the whole situation, and that that he's going to use it to quote boost his campaign. And then on the next day is when he starts saying that he's going to be arrested, which obviously didn't happen on uh, on the the date that he predicted, which is the 21st. I mean, all this, it's crazy because all of this stuff is in print, and you can find it yourself. But, of course, Trump has this whole, like, media ecosphere, mostly, like, blue-check people on Twitter, whose whole job is to keep you misinformed against your own interests as, as, as a conservative and as American and as a voter. And I'm talking with Pedro Gonzalez, who is the politics editor at Chronicles magazine. And and Pedro, what you're talking about, I think, is so important for people to hear, whether they like and support Trump or not. I mean, you know, this isn't just about 
um, at all, you know, Trump bashing or anything like that. It's about highlighting the fact and telling people who rely on news sources for information, want to be informed, that you need to be skeptical about sources, about what the headlines are, and you need to be asking yourself, who does this serve? Um, Because I do also find it fascinating that a lot of the MAGA base is now suggesting that because there's this cloud of indictment, that nobody who is a true conservative can in any way criticize anything about Trump. And of course, we should be criticizing um, Ron DeSantis 100% if he doesn't just fall in lockstep and say and pledge to do everything that he possibly can, even though you're right. I mean, there, there's nothing that is set up that would give Ron DeSantis power to do anything. So a pledge like that would be empty at best. Um, but then you even have, you know, candidates like my good friend Vivek Ramaswamy, who is on here saying, you know, every GOP person needs to, you know, fall in line with this and we need to be calling out the weaponization of government. Yes, we do. But at the same time, I almost see him um, going along with this narrative, maybe uh, naively to to not really realize what's going on in Washington with a lot of these consultant class and these handlers that are building a narrative that the point of it is to keep you so focused on something and uninformed about the rest and to shape your perspective about someone like Ron DeSantis, who will likely be uh, President Trump's a most challenging opponent in 2024. So I, I think the bottom line here, Pedro, is that people need to be very skeptical always in everything that they listen to, everything that they watch. I mean, even listening to this show, I bring on people uh, across the whole political spectrum um, for their opinions. Um, you know, if Democrats haven't wanted to come on this show other than Alan Dershowitz, but, you know, they would be invited. I, w- I would have, you know, somebody from Biden's team. I would love to have the press secretary on and be able to ask her questions. Um, that would be important for you to hear. But I want everybody to be skeptical of opinions and not just believe the talking points that um, people are saying because they have one view or another or uh, you know, they work for one entity or another. And so just in the last few minutes that, that we have here, um, wh- what is the bottom line for us? Where, and, and, and give people, I guess, the resources or your view in, in you know, the last minute we have here. Where can they go then to find the truth? Or is it kind of a you need to read everything and parse the difference and, and also render your own opinion on what you think about somebody like Ron yeah. DeSantis? Don't just take him, you know, oh, he's a rhino, he's establishment. Yeah. By the way, I, I also said that that the war he referred to Putin as a war criminal. I said that was a mistake. That that because it's a, it's just a meaningless. It's like a throwaway phrase that doesn't really do anything, and it's, it's also just not. It's not. I, I just I don't think it should be used by someone who's going to be president because obviously we need to do diplomacy with Putin. You know. Um, so I, and I so I've been critical of him in other words because I'm not being paid by any candidate or campaign. Uh, right. We're a muzzle, so I'm not afraid to be critical of DeSantis. But ultimately, I think people need to. Um, I mean, it, it's what you said. You have to. You have to read for yourself. You have to parse the information yourself. That's what I did to write this story about the whole indictment being kind of a fundraising thing. Was I just read all these different sources and had to figure yeah. out the truth on my own? And that's and, and we need to here. research. That's the bottom line. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
Welcome back. And uh, I wanted to shift focus a little bit uh, to talk about an important project of the American Family Association that uh, you should be aware of if you're not, which is the Ten Commandments Project. And uh, Joseph Parker, who directs that project, um, which is part of the uh, or the the Ten Commandments speech contest, which is a part of the Ten Commandments project, joins me now. So, um, Joseph, I'm a little uh, newer to the AFA family, so um, I will be among the listeners that are learning about uh, the good work that you're doing here. So, what uh, first is the Ten Commandments project overall, and we're highlighting as well uh, the speech contest. Well, uh, thank you, Jenna, for the opportunity to share about the project. It's been a, a fun project, an exciting project, and I think a very productive and fruitful project for young people. It is a discipleship project, and it's a tool to put in the hands of parents to help parents and others that work with young people to effectively help children come to know Christ and then to be discipled. Uh, the three different side, three different key parts of the project. And again, this project has been going on probably about five to six years right now. Uh, the speech contest started about three years ago. So, But basically one side of the project very simply is if a parent will have their child memorize the Ten Commandments, the child recites them to dad or mom, dad or mom can call AFR at 662-844-5036, say my son recited the Ten Commandments to me, he or she is uh, medium or small, this is my address, and we'll mail them a free Ten Commandments T-shirt with the, that on, with the Ten Commandments printed on the back. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but it's actually bigger than one might think because one of the realities is planting the Word of God in the hearts and the minds of children is a critical piece to discipleship. And one of the great needs in our culture is for believers to come to be very passionate about putting the Word of God in the hearts and the minds of their children. So that's one part of the project. Another one is where we're... Uh, we've led, my wife, Birdie, and I have led uh, a number of these six-week teaching sessions, and we encourage churches and individuals to do the same over a period of four to six weeks, teach the meaning of each of the Ten Commandments using movie clips, music videos, tool, teaching tools, but teaching the meaning as well as inviting the children to memorize them. Through that, they too, through that as well, they can win a T-shirt. But learning the critical meaning, one of the reasons why that is so critical is because I would illustrate it with two sad news stories of children in our culture today. Uh, True story, um, in a large city, a young man, a teenager stole a can of beer, took off, the attendant stepped out, shot him, and the young man died. Well, the man did get arrested, but had a parent or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor taught him the Ten Commandments, the seed of God's Word probably would have kept him from doing that, and he might would be alive today. So also another news story, Three little middle school girls went out into the woods. Two of them tried to stab the third one to death. You have to ask, where do little middle school girls get the idea of murdering a peer? Well, the fact is, too often, children are being discipled in darkness. They're being discipled in witchcraft, all sorts of things, through the Internet, through TV, through movies. So parents being very deliberate and very passionate about Putting the Word of God in their hearts of their children is important. So the teaching program is an important tool for our children, grandchildren, and for young people that are part of our church community or in the community where we're ministering. The third part is the speech contest. We This is the third year we've done it. The first year we had about 27 that uh, participated. Last year we had about 40 that participated. Each year we, um, right now we're focusing for this year, the commandment is honor your father and your mother. And each young person from ages 6 to 18 
We'll do a speech. And we've decided to not put a time limit on it because the younger children tend to have shorter speeches, but still they have wonderful speeches. Uh, they can either get dad or mom's help or someone's help. Uh, they can do the speech entirely on their own. Or they can call us and say, I, I don't know how to write a speech, but I want to participate. And we're glad to help them. Each one is productive in helping to put the Word of God in the mind of the heart of that young person. So uh, they're to videotape the, their speech as they present it and send it to us. My email is jparker at afa.net. Again, the, the letter jparker at afa.net. April 26th is the deadline. One of the exciting parts about the speech contest has been that the young people, as they do their Bible research and their research about the topic, are growing and and developing spiritually. And what I also do is the broadcast I host here on AFR is the Hour of Intercession, uh, early in the morning uh, through the weekdays. And typically we try to have almost all, we've managed to have most of the children and their parents come on and talk about how the parents observed what they saw happen in their child as they participated. Those programs have been exciting to see that, as to see the parents excitedly see how their children have walked through the journey of being a part of the project. So those are the three sides of the Ten Commandments project. Well, I love it, uh, Joseph Parker, and you are the Director of Outreach and Intercession, as well as you mentioned. And I think this is so important for parents and my own parents uh, who homeschooled me and, and my brothers all the way through. Uh, this was part of um, the foundation of how they discipled us and invested in me. Uh, we read through the Bible uh, together as a family every year. So by the time I graduated high school, I had already read through the Bible um, you know, 12, 15 times, um, hmm. knew that very well, had memorization of scripture. And, you know, in the the daily political world and, you know, the news of the day that we confront on this show, um, doing so from a biblical worldview requires that you first know what the Bible says, and mm -hmm. then you can rightly divide scripture and you can uh, tell the biblical worldview from false philosophies and empty deceit as uh, scripture warns us. And, you know, you mentioned there's an article in, in The Stand, uh, which is obviously the great resource from AFA. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are two verses on there for uh, the Ten Commandments Project, and they both are part of Psalm 119, which is actually my one of my favorite chapters of the Bible because it's talking all about King David's love of the law. And mm -hmm. um, every time that I sign a copy of my book, I always refer to Psalm um, and make a note uh, in the book of Psalm 119, 18 that says, Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see wonderful things in your law. Mm -hmm. And um, and so what, I, what you're doing with the Ten Commandments Project and encouraging parents to have scripture memorization and to be able through the speech contest to articulate that well and their ideas and to not be afraid of, of public speaking is so important for us to be able to encourage young people to fulfill the Great Commandment um, or right. the Great Commission, which is to go into the world and teach the gospel. So I would really encourage everyone to, to get involved um, in this Ten Commandments project. And um, you mentioned, Joseph Parker, that uh, in the hour of intercession, you have um, some of these students and, and these young people um, with their parents call in and give some of those stories. What what um, have you heard and what are maybe some of the standouts of parents and their kids um, that have called in and some of uh, the stories of how this has impacted them? 
Well, when we when we've done that, of course, we specifically have a program where we may have a parent, and like in some cases, we had parents that may have had two or three children that did speeches and participated. And it's powerful just to see how encouraged the parents were to see how their child grew through the process of getting the speech, research, doing their Bible research, doing their research, putting the speech together. And as I mentioned last year, we ended up with 40 speeches. Last year, we happened to have used the commandment, you shall not murder. And so somehow or another, the Lord may have used that to help overturn Roe v. Wade. I don't know. That's God's business. But the reality is this. We saw about 40 speeches of children powerfully sharing truth that the world needs to hear, sharing from their heart. Many of the children don't didn't use choose to use a script when they did their speeches. But uh, so hearing the parents, their thoughts, their encouragement to see how their child grew through this was very encouraging to us. Mm, and that is so encouraging. And I I love the fact that you are encouraging parents to get their children involved in this in such a young age because, um, you know, and again, just in my own experience in my own life with my parents who did the same thing, um, you know, when they grow up and go to college and in my case, go to law school and you're confronted with all of these different ideologies and these other things that um, you have to look at and, and then ultimately say, okay, this is how I was raised and I've, I accepted Christ at a very young age, um, but then as an adult had to then also decide, do I affirm the faith of my youth or, um, or do I go a different direction? And was confronted in law school with that kind of, um, I would call it a crisis of faith, frankly, when I was confronted with this ideology that, you know, morality is totally arbitrary and whatever the sovereign of a given government says, uh, then that's the morality that is acceptable in in a society. And speaking of the Dobbs decision, our current society would tell us, at least among um, the leftists and those who reject God, that um, abortion is an absolutely okay moral choice. And Life doesn't begin at conception and all of these other false ideologies that I guarantee you parents um, just from, you know, again, my own experience that as as Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's older, he won't depart from it. That would always resonate with me. And as I have um, gone you know, further, the older I get, the more I realize how blessed I was uh, to have parents who instilled in me not only the memorization of scripture, um, the full reading of the Bible, church participation, grounding in worldviews, and in the ability to recognize and call out these false ideologies. Um, I have continued to be so thankful that I was grounded in all of that because I can recall all of the things that I was uh, in, instilled in in my youth. And this is so important. And so I think you're so right, Joseph Parker, that this isn't just about, you know, a t-shirt and a fun contest. This is about ultimately training up children in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. So again, tell us how um, people can participate in all of these programs, including uh, the Ten Commandments Project, but also the speech contest. Right. Well, to, uh, to get information about the contest itself, <clears throat> just simply go to afa.net and they can pull up um, the Ten Commandments speech contest or they can email me at jpark, the letter jparker at afa.net. Be glad to send them an, the article that explains the full project and specifically the speech contest. 
And we're grateful to have people to participate or if they want to simply participate in the part where their child memorizes the Ten Commandments and gets a free T-shirt, the number is 662-844-5036. And I would mention, too, um, I've heard from one person, and I do understand this, that it's helpful to understand this. A part of what we do is we really emphasize the importance of Yes, definitely sharing the gospel in the midst of teaching them the Ten Commandments, inviting them to come to receive Christ because, you know, the Ten Commandments is a teaching tool, but everyone needs to hear the gospel to be saved. And so that's something I just want to throw in very clearly. Yes, and very, very well said. And it's it's amazing to me. as, as again, as I've gotten older, um, friends of mine who have said, you know, they grew up in, in a church, um, and thought they had a faith, uh, but had never actually heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And so, you know, for parents as well, who um, your kids may have friends who also want to participate, and that may be the only opportunity that they have while they are a young person to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. This is a great way to, again, fulfill the Great Commission and to be speaking truth in love and to be investing in the discipleship and mentorship of your children and um, maybe even their friends as well. So Joseph Parker, really appreciate your time today. And um, in just the last, thank you. And in just the last few minutes that we have on this uh, Friday afternoon, you know, I just, I want to, um, to talk about that a little bit more personally as well. Um, What, what Joseph Parker just illustrated with, with parents and in my own experience and uh, my parents investing in me, because um, everything that I do in my ministry um, on this program, on my podcast um, and in the mainstream media, having, you know, represented a former sitting president and, you know, being involved in what a lot of people think of as, you know, dirty politics. um, This to me has always been an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel of Christ in culture, in politics, and in issues that we confront on a daily basis. And um, some of you know that, uh, you know, my my background, I mean, I got into this just because I wrote a book on the truth of the Judeo-Christian worldview called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. And I just started talking about the truth on the airwaves. And I can't, um, I could have never imagined that God would bring me to this type of platform and the opportunities that I've had to share the truth and the gospel. Uh, But this is why I do what I do every single day and why we confront the issues of our time in the culture, why we're engaged in politics, why we are engaged as good citizens in every aspect of life, um, the civil society, the family, and the church government is because we have to fulfill that great commission, teach the truth of the gospel of Christ. Have a great weekend and think about in your own sphere of influence, in your family, your neighborhood, how can you be sharing the truth of the gospel of Christ?